If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Southcrest Baptist Church. Services are 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings and 6 p.m. on Wednesdays. We're located at 3801 South Loop 289 in Lubbock, Texas. If you can't join us in person, be part of our online congregation at southcrestlive.tv to stream our Sunday services live at 9.30 or 11. For more information, visit our website at southcrest.org. Turn, if you got your Bible, to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. We're going to um, kind of be a little bit in chapter 1 as well, but the, the bulk of where we'll be this morning will be Romans chapter 2. And that's uh, the New Testament. And again, there's no shame in looking up in the table of contents if you're not sure where that's at. Man, how about just the, uh, the lovely just summer weather we've had the past few days, right? Man, just, just, just typical Lubbock, right? <laughs> Romans chapter two. Hey, before we dive in, um, I want to pray for us and we'll get started. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to worship. And um, Lord, I'm grateful for um, those who lead us and the opportunity just to, to reflect on who you are and what you've done for us and the biblical truths and um, Lord, the fact that the truth that you have conquered the grave and are risen and reigning. Um, and Lord, that you're coming again one day and God, I pray that this morning we would just be encouraged and challenged as we study your word and that we would be honest with you and that you would um, use your word to speak to us, God, and your spirit would move powerfully. Now, if you would, with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, if you would, just take a moment and ask God to speak to you this morning. Ask him to, to open your eyes to who he is and what he has for you this morning. And if you would take a moment just to, to pray for me that God would um, use me for your, your benefit this morning and for his glory. God, we love you and we're grateful for your grace to us and just ask that you would um, speak to us in this moment. So in your name we pray, amen. All right, so I would like to start with a question, if y'all are okay with that, is that Okay. And here's the deal, the question, you don't, it's not like an answer answer, but you have to at least give me a head nod or a yes or no or something, all right? So there's uh, all participation, everybody's involved. So here's the first question. I'm really starting with two questions. The first question is, do you like it when people judge you and look down on you and act like they're better than you? <laughs> no. <Nah. laughs> That's a pretty easy, pretty easy question, all right? Okay, good answer. It'd be weird if you said yes to that. Um, so here's the second question. Now, now remember, we're in the Lord's house. You shouldn't lie ever, but I mean, we are in church, so don't lie. Do you like it? Or excuse me, let me, let me phrase that. Do you like to occasionally judge people and look down on them? <laughs> Y'all are laughing because you're like, the answer's yes, but I'm not saying yes. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Now, let me clarify. I'm not saying that you wake up in the morning and you're like, you know what? Today is a good day to judge people. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm not saying like your, your buddy says, hey, what do you have planned today? And you're like, man, I'm gonna spend all day just condemning people and looking down on them and thinking I'm better than them. Like, I, I'm not saying that, okay? But the reality is we, we do. We kind of tend to, to feel like, man, I'm better than other people. And we, we like to point out those people, you know what I mean? And look down on, on their sins. Um, Jesus actually in the New Testament, um, or in, in Luke, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 18, I'm just gonna read some of the story for you. Um, 
he actually told a pretty funny story about the same, uh, the same concept of us like, judging people and thinking we're better than them and that we're uh, more holy than they are. And it's in Luke 18, and uh, Jesus tells the story about a, a Pharisee and a tax collector. So the Pharisee and that culture considered one of the most religious, spiritual, moral, rule-following people there was, and then a tax collector who was the exact opposite of that in that culture. So he would have been seen as the epitome of selfishness and, and really people despised the tax, the Jews despised the tax collectors. They were also seen as traitors. So Jesus tells this story about um, the Pharisee and tax collector going into the temple, which I decided, you know, men today, when they tell a joke, they talk about two men walking into a bar. But when you're God, you say two men walked into church, right? So these two men walk into the temple and listen to, man, I became a dad and I'm already, already, already telling cheesy dad jokes. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Luke 18, listen to what Jesus says in telling the story of what the tax collector prayed. It says, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, <laughs> I thank you that I am not like other men. By the way, if you ever catch yourself starting a prayer like that, you should watch yourself, right? <laughs> God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. You can see him again, Jesus telling the story. He looks over, Lord, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Holy cow, this dude is self-righteous, right? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is dude, this is incredibly self-righteous. Jesus, I think he, he's being, he's not telling a joke, but he's being funny here to help people understand what's going on in their hearts. He's, he's being humorous. He's saying, could you imagine someone praying like that? I mean, this guy, in the story Jesus is telling, he's praying, he's saying, Lord, I thank you that I'm so awesome. <laughs> I thank you that I'm not as sinful as, as those people over there. To quote DJ Khalid, he's like, Lord, all I do is win, 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 no matter what, right? I got, <laughs> I got tithing on my mind, can't never give enough. Every time I walk up in the church, everybody's hand goes up, Lord, because I am so amazing. <laughs> if you're in college or high school, you get that reference. Other, everybody else is like, what is he talking about? Yeah, he, he's, this guy's full of himself. And again, Jesus tells that story to, to help reveal the human heart, but, but maybe even more so to help reveal the religious person's heart, the moral person's heart. You know, it, it's so easy um, as people, I'll, I'll say, to, to talk about, again, those people, right? Well, they do, they do those kind of things. I'm, I'm glad I'm not like them. If you look, again, Romans 1 is not our text, but just to kind of give you some context of where we're parachuting in this morning, um, really chapter 1, verses 18 and on, Paul begins to tell the story of humanity, the story of God in us. And the, the first part of that story is that every single human that has ever lived, they are all under the wrath of God. And he explains begins to explain in chapter one, really starting in verse 18, like I said, why humans are, are under the wrath of God. It's ultimately, it sums up, it can be summed up in idolatry. And not like you may say, well, I'm not an idolater. Not in the sense of that we all like bow down and worship this little golden image, but that all of us think about worship, pursue, love things other than God. And he says that these people, they worship the creation rather than the creator. 
They're sinners. They're under the wrath of God. And then, so that's kind of the, the um, root sin. And then starting in verse 28, he lists some of, and really before that, but I'll pick up in verse 28 for time. He lists some of the fruit sins of that root sin of idolatry. And here's, I'm just gonna read, you can read along with me in chapter one, verse 28. It says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, I'll be honest, as I read through Romans, I read that, I can't help but kind of feel like, yeah, those people, you know, those people who worship themselves, worship other people, worship things, worship identity, worship status, man, those people, yeah, they, they have it coming. What is so foolish about me looking, it helps to have the stage here. What, help, what is so foolish about me looking down on other people, those people as though they're more sinful than I am? What is the problem with looking down on other people as, as though I'm more holy and better than them? That is a great question and I'm glad you asked it. And Paul tells us the answer in Romans two, so let's read it. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the quote, judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. The problem with looking down on sinners is that I'm a sinner. <laughs> and not to like get in your grill this morning, but you're a sinner. <laughs> That's what he says. It's important to realize who he's talking to here in chapter two. He's addressing moral religious people. Paul knew his audience would have read chapter one and easily felt like, yeah, those people. And so now he turns it on them and says, what about you? The problem with you judging and looking down on other people is that you're a sinner too. You may act like you have everything together and you have this facade of I'm very spiritual, I'm very moral, I'm a very good person. But in reality, you are a sinner too. I love, he starts verse one with therefore and he's pointing back up to verse 32 saying that these people, they know that God's righteous, I'll just read it, sorry. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So he's saying, you know that as a sinner, you deserve God's wrath. You're under the wrath, the judgment of God. So like, why are you looking down on other people when you knowingly do the same things and act as though you're a judge? And you may say, well, you know, Brandon, you read that list and I don't know, I don't do, I don't do all those things. I'm not a murderer. And I, Brandon, I read back up before there and I, there's some pretty uh, crazy sins that maybe, you know, I, I don't do those things. <laughs> 
I would argue what Paul's arguing that all goes back to the root sin of idolatry. And here's the reality. Every single one of us in some form or fashion worship, pursue, love things other than God, most often ourselves. And so maybe you don't, you can't, you wouldn't say you've done every single one of those sins listed in verses 28 through 32 of chapter one. The reality is you've done the root of those sins. And I'm going to venture to say you've probably done the fruit of some of, some of those sins, like maybe gossip, uh, be prideful, boast, um, disobedient to parents. For some of y'all, it's been longer than others since you've done that. But um, we all have done those things. So here's what Paul's saying. No matter how moral, religious you think you are and make yourself feel to be by looking down on other people, all of us are sinners. And because of that, all of us face the wrath of God. It says in verse three, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you, excuse me, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed? That's a great question. Verse four, are you presuming on the riches of God's kindness? See, it's easy as a moral person, as a church type person, as a religious person to presume on God's kindness and feel like, well, you know, I've done some pretty good things and, and I'm a Texan and, and you know, I mean, God loves Texas more than any other country, right? I'm just kidding. Um, and I know it's a state. Um, Y'all don't even notice that. You're like, amen, country. <laughs> Got distracted. Um, it's easy to feel like, yeah, like I'm kind of on this in crowd with God and then kind of presume on his, right, on his goodness, his kindness to me. And Paul's saying his kindness, his goodness to you is supposed to lead you to repent, to not just feel like, ah, oh, nah, I'm okay. Like, I bet it's okay for me. I bet God's cool with me. It's different when I sin. He's saying, no, his kindness, his goodness is supposed to lead, supposed to lead you to repent. And here's the problem with, with the reality we're in. Here's our predicament. The fact that church people, moral people, religious people tend to act like we all have it together and we, we're very moral and very spiritual and never sin. But in reality, we do. Here's where that leads us. Here's the problem. By the way, I promise this is all going somewhere. I promise I'm going to give you a point. I know you're just itching to write something down. <laughs> Verse six. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. I, I, want, I want you to not make the mistake I made when I first read this. I don't, understand the full context of what Paul's doing here. It's easy to read these verses and kind of feel like, oh, well, good. Like, I'm a good person. Yeah, I seek for glory and honor. So, man, like, God's gonna render according to my works. And Lord, you know, I've been doing some good things, so I'm okay. And the context of what Paul's arguing in really Romans 1, 18 through kind of halfway through three, 
He's building the case that all of us, no matter how good you try to be, all of us are under the wrath of God. So none of us are supposed to read verses six through 11 and be like, well, I'm glad he's gonna render according to my works because I'm a good person. Like, no, if you look over it, some of you, you won't even have to turn the page. You can just look. In chapter three, uh, starting in verse 10, as he's continuing this argument, he says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So again, Paul, the point is really, it's really you could understand it's like a statement. Paul's saying, hey, God's gonna render according to his works. And those who um, are by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, sorry, immortality, he will give eternal life. He's saying, no one does that. <laughs> no one is actually good. No one perfectly keeps the law. God shows no partiality. So that, again, there's no in crowd. There's no like insiders club with God. There's no favorites. No, like all of us are sinners. Verse 12, verses 12 through 16, I'm gonna be really brief here, but I just wanna read this and then we'll kind of finally get to where I'm going. <laughs> For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus. So if I could just summarize that section really simply, here's what he's saying. With or without God's word, every single human has sinned. And none of us, again, are, as he says, doers of the law. None of us. We're, we're all sinners. So again, just to answer the question of why is, it, why is it wrong? Why is it silly? Why is it foolish? What's the problem with me looking down on other people as though I'm better, more righteous, more spiritual? Then the problem is that I'm a sinner too. Now, if we just dismissed right now, then you'd be really depressed, right? But we're not quite done. There's a story from the Old Testament that I think um, helps us grasp this truth, this reality. You don't have to turn there, but in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, um, well, I really I should lead up in the chapters before chapter 12, um, we hear of King David, that he was on his palace, on his rooftop and looking out over his kingdom and he saw a beautiful woman. He saw Bathsheba bathing on top of her house. And it says that he, which again, that, Seems weird in our day. In that culture, that's what, where you bathe. Anyways, so he sees her bathing and lusts after her and decides um, he wants someone to bring her to him so he can commit adultery, so he can sleep with her. So that's what King David did. And she became pregnant and to cover up his sin against it, you gotta keep up that facade that I'm a good person, right? That I don't sin. To cover that up, he thought, I'll bring her husband, Uriah, who was off at war. I'll bring him home and, and they can sleep together, spend the night together, and then it'll cover it up. But Uriah, being a pretty amazing man, came home and said, you know what? The men who I'm at battle with, they can't be home with their wives, so I'm gonna sleep out on the doorstep. 
So then, again, David, he's got to keep up this facade, right? He gotta, he's the king. He can't be looking like a sinner. So he sent Uriah back to battle, but with instructions to give to his commander. Uriah didn't know it, but to give to his commander to put Uriah on the front line so that Uriah would be killed. And that's exactly what happened. He was, he was killed in battle. So soon after that, the prophet Nathan went to King David. He said, Nathan, or excuse me, David, uh, I need to tell you, I want to tell you a story. So there was a rich man and a poor man. And this rich man had everything. He had everything you could imagine, everything you could want. The poor man, he really had nothing. All he had was one little ewe lamb. And this ewe lamb was everything to him. King David, a traveler came through and the rich man Rather than taking from the abundance he had to provide for this traveler, he took the one little ewe lamb from the poor man. That was all he had. And King David cut him off and said, who is it? Who was the man? Who did that? This man has to pay. Why would you do something like that? That is so wrong. That is so messed up. And Nathan looked at David and said, King David, you are the man. As much as I hate to say it and like think about it, because this is totally preaching to me too. God through Paul this morning in the book of Romans is essentially saying to all of us, you are the one. You are the man or the woman. You are a sinner. See, If we just stop there, there's not much hope, right? <laughs> All of us are under the wrath of God because of that. But here is what Paul is doing. Paul is trying to drive, even though it hurts our feelings and steps on our toes, he's trying to, trying to drive this truth into our lives to get us somewhere, to get us to someone. See, none of us have the right to look down on other people as though we are more spiritual, more moral, more religious than them because all of us are sinners, right? We've, we've established that. I, I can quit saying that. <laughs> There's only been one person in all of human history that has ever had the right to stand and look down at sinners and judge them and condemn them. Condemn them. Who was Excuse me. Who is that man? Come on, who is it? His name is Jesus. And I've got good news for you. That one man who has the right to look down on us and judge us and think about how much better he is than us, rather than do that, he came to deliver and to justify and to redeem and to rescue us. Amen? So here's what Paul's doing. I said he's trying to get us somewhere. He's trying to get us to someone. Paul's not just trying to encourage us, or sorry, discourage us. If you read the next couple chapters in Romans, he's pushing us as hard as he can towards Jesus to embrace that we are messed up, but that Jesus made a mess of his life on the cross so we can know him and have a relationship with God. See, here's the point. I don't even want to write something down. Here's the point. Real Christians don't think they have it all together. <laughs> no, Real Christians know they don't have it all together and therefore run to and love Jesus. Real Christians don't think they have it all together. No, they love and trust Jesus because they know they don't have it all together. If, you, if I were to go back, we're not going to go back and 
look at this story that Jesus told about the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, the Pharisee over here, all I do is win. He's so proud of himself. Do you remember what the tax collector did? Again, it was, Jesus was telling a story, but in his story, the tax collector beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that that day, the tax collector, not the moral religious church person, but the tax collector who just embraced how sinful he was, that man went home justified. Meaning God looking at him just as if he'd never sinned because he was covered with the forgiveness, the blood, the righteousness of Jesus. If I could sum up the big idea even a little more simpler, more simply than what I already said, denial leads to wrath, embrace leads to grace. When you deny that you're a sinner, you know, just those people, those are the ones that need Jesus, that will lead you to the wrath of God. When you embrace that, like me, that you are sinful, broken, messed up person, that leads to grace. How beautiful a picture that Jesus welcomes hypocritical, broken, sinful, church-going people into his arms. See, it's, it's, it's not those people who get to experience God's grace. It's we people who get to experience God's grace if we'll just turn to him. And you say, well, Brandon, that's, you're an okay guy, but that's pretty offensive <laughs> that, I'm, that I don't have it all together and that I'm messed up. And I would argue the offense of the gospel is what makes the gospel so beautiful. It's like a diamond on the black cloth, right? Remember when I went to, my wife and I went to go look out or look for an engagement ring for her. Um, they don't hold the diamond in their hand. They put it on that, that nice velvet black cloth, right? To show you the, the true beauty of it. Friends, I don't think we fully get to experience and grasp the true full beauty of the gospel until we realize how broken and messed up we are. Denial leads to wrath. Embrace leads to grace. Now, I'm landing the plane, I promise. I just wanna point out three things. Or maybe that's not how I wanna say it. I think in light of this passage, there, there are three people. And I don't know you, but um, I think probably you fall into one of these three categories. I think in light of that, that'll lead us to, to respond. I think the first, person, the first kind of person is the person that, honestly, uh, I need to apologize to, and that probably a lot of us need to apologize to. And that is the person who has been so turned off by hypocritical, judgmental, condemning Christianity that they want nothing to do with God. I, I think he may be in here, or he may be in the venue. I'm getting to baptize him next Sunday. There's one of our students, his name is JT, and he's cool with me telling you his story. But long story short, um, he several months ago would have considered him an himself as an atheist, but now because of the love of some good Christians, when I say good, I mean like Jesus loving Christian students, he's now turned to faith in Christ and believes in Jesus. Amen. So I can't wait to, that'd be an awesome thing next Sunday to baptize him. I was talking with JT and he said part of, again, he wouldn't blame it on anybody, but part of what turned him away from God, even though he grew up in the church, part of what turned him away was he was sick of always feeling like people were judging him and condemning him and looking down on him when he knew they were doing the exact same things. So if that's you this morning, I, here, here's a public apology because it, it's pretty messed up that as Christians, we do that sometimes. 
I'm sorry that our hypocrisy may be kind of hindering you from coming to Jesus. But I want to promise you that JT would tell you this morning, don't let the hypocrisy of a person keep you from the perfection, the beauty, the wonder, the forgiveness of Jesus. I want to encourage you and, and implore you to come to Jesus and experience the grace of Jesus this morning in spite of maybe the ugliness you've seen in self-proclaimed Christians. That's the first person. The second person, um, <laughs> maybe you're here this morning. I laugh because of, um, I think it's too easy to, to get into this mindset. Anyways, the second person is the person who this morning you realize maybe God's knocking on your heart and you realize that yes, you've grown up in church as a pretty moral person, a pretty good person, but you've never actually placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe you've, you've like a man joked with me after the last service, he said, Brandon, I'm glad you preached that sermon because those people needed to hear it. And I was like, get out of here. <laughs> he was just messing with me. <laughs> he was totally kidding. But maybe you felt that way kind of all your life. Like, yeah, those people. And now you're realizing, wait, I am that person. And you're realizing that though you've tried to be a good person and kind of climb the mountain of God's righteousness, you're, you're realizing this morning that you trying to climb the, climb the mountain of God's righteousness is kind of like you going up to Paladero and trying to climb those walls of dirt that it gets you nowhere. <laughs> But the gospel is that Jesus, in spite of your sinfulness, reached all the way down to pick you up and to rescue you and to save you. So maybe this morning you need to abandon your trying to be good, get off the hamster wheel of trying to be good, trying to earn God's favor, and just realize that all you need to do is embrace your brokenness and then you can receive his grace by turning from your sin and turning to him. And the third person, which is probably a lot of us this morning, the third person is a person who, yes, you are a believer, but you've done what so many of us tend to do. You've drifted back towards that mindset of, well, yeah, I'm a good person. And you start to think that, yeah, I'm in a right relationship with God because I do some right things. And maybe this morning you need to be reminded, I need to be, I know I certainly do, be reminded of the truth, the fact that God's love for me, his grace towards me is completely 100% based on him and not on me. And so because of that, I can quit looking down on other people and comparing myself. Am I, am I more spiritual than them? Am I more moral than them? I can quit doing that and just embrace that I'm a broken person. And in spite of that, Jesus loves me. You've heard the phrase, um, comparison is the thief of joy. And that's absolutely true. I believe that's true, but I actually believe it's true in more ways than one. When you, as a believer, compare yourself to other people and like, yeah, I'm not, as, I'm not as bad as that person. Like, I, I'm pretty good. I do these things. I go to church more than them. I don't do that thing. So I, I'm, I'm pretty good. When you do that and compare yourself to other people, it's gonna draw you away from experiencing the goodness and the grace of Jesus. Because the more that you think I'm a good person, the more you think you don't need his grace. Friends, embrace your brokenness and run to Jesus this morning. He is good and faithful and gracious. So in a moment, I'm gonna have the, some of our pastors come down front and, and we're gonna, in a time of response, I'd love for you to pray and sing. But before that happens, um, I think the first thing to do is just to ask God, which of those three am I? I can't help but think maybe there's some people here this morning that have done the church game for a long time, done the moral thing for a long time, but today's the day you need to actually trust in Jesus, place your faith in him.
So as you consider, I'll pray in just a moment and then um, the pastor will be down front and we'll, we'll stand and sing. And so again, maybe you need to, right where you're at, um, pray and talk with the Lord. Maybe you need to come down front and talk to one of the pastors, um, ask them a question, or maybe just ask them to pray for you. Or maybe you just wanna stand and sing in a moment and rejoice in who God is and, and the fact that your salvation is based on him. Don't kid yourself. Real Christians don't think they have it all together. No, they love and trust Jesus because they know they don't have it all together. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.